All right, welcome everybody this week. We're really excited because we're chatting to the very talented author of 44 chapters about four men, a memoir, B.B. Easton. Welcome. Thank you. Hi. We are like just so excited to speak with you because your book has just had so much success. Um, Obviously within weeks, your memoir hit the Amazon top 100 bestseller list. It received a glowing review from number one New York Times bestseller Colleen Hoover and was also optioned by a producer, which is just fantastic. And you've won um, an After Dark Book Lovers Shorty Award for the best debut of 2016. I mean, how are you feeling about all of this success? You must be just so excited. I am. I'm. It's, it's really weird because... All of the success exists online. <laughs> like my life is so boring and my husband and I both work from home, like in our sweatpants and nothing, you know, I'm not like out on red carpets because of COVID. I can't really do anything. So it's just very strange to have all of this, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's so successful. What is it? It's like, it's just kind of like words and images on a screen. It's not really it doesn't feel real. Like I still go to the grocery store and nobody knows who the hell I am. Like <laughs> it doesn't feel very different. It's exciting every time I log on and I'm like, Oh, wee, people are excited. But then I log off and it's like, okay, that was fun. <laughs> so it's cool in that way. Yeah. It's cool in that way that I can kind of participate in the madness when I want to, and then just close my laptop and it all goes away when I don't. That's fair enough. But I mean, it would obviously be super exciting to be able to get out there as well if you could do that. But yes. Yeah. Separation is probably good from a mental health perspective because you can kind of just be like, right, I'm shutting off now. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I would never like I've watched documentaries and read biographies and stuff about people who are super famous. Um, and it's it just sounds like a prison. And I I've always I like being like, like book world popular, like internet popular, you know, like there are a couple of people who know I am and then everybody else, I can just be anonymous and go about my business. And it's, it's like the best of both worlds. So I feel really lucky. Absolutely. And I love that you were just like, okay, I've had this success. So you know what? I'm going to quit my job. It was stressful. I'm going to dye my hair pink which I love, by the way, (laughs) and I'm going to expand on this initial book and give just each of the guys their own personal book, just going to it a little bit deeper. But you never intended to become an author. So tell us a little bit about your journey to get to that point. Yeah, no, I was a school psychologist. I had gone to college for seven years to be a school psychologist. Um, I was going to do that job until I retired or until I died, like whichever came first. Um, and But I had always been very creative. I'd always been a writer and a painter and a artistic kind of person. And uh, both of my parents, my mom's an artist, and my dad's a musician. And so I... I I didn't really have a choice. Like I was going to be born some kind of artist and they discouraged me every step of the way. They (laughs) uh, were both starving artists and just, it wasn't even that they begged me not to be an artist. It was like not even an option. 
like you're going to college, you're going to get your at least a master's degree. Like you need a pension, you need a corner office. Like, don't be like us. Don't be stupid like us. So it was always something that I just kind of did in my free time. It was always just a hobby. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I would be able to do this for a living because my parents just ingrained in me that it wasn't even possible and it was stupid to try. So um, I think that kind of helped make it just fun, you know, because I didn't ever try to pursue it as a job. Um, I always just created things from a place of love and joy because they weren't ever going to bring me money. And um, when I wrote 44 chapters about four men, that's exactly, it wasn't even supposed to be shown to anyone. It was just my journal. And uh, when it finally started taking the shape of a book, I was like, all right, this, this one, I'm going to, I'm going to actually publish. I'm going to actually, this piece of art, I'm going to share with the world. Cause I think there's something here that could actually help people or at least make people laugh. Um, definitely can make people laugh at me. Um, so I did, and I had so much fun doing it and it felt so good that I wanted, I was just obsessed. I wanted to keep going so badly and I couldn't, I had been burning the candle at both ends for years, for three years. I think by the time I finally published between writing and editing and trying to find a a literary agent and all of building my social media presence. I had been sleeping about three hours a night for three years and I had two very small kids. I had a baby and a toddler. So something had to give. And it was when my daughter turned three, my youngest, who had been a baby when I started writing and I blinked and she was, it was her third birthday and she's the last one I was going to have. And I, that was it. It wasn't even that, you know, I knew I wanted to keep writing, but when she turned three, I was like, I missed, I missed it. I missed it and I'm not getting it back. And so I begged my husband for two years. So just let me stay home. Let me write these books. Let me raise these kids. Like I can't do all of it anymore. And so I really want to give up the thing that's making me money. <laughs> I want to keep the things that are giving me joy. And I'm going to give her to this one thing that's making half of our income. And he wasn't real excited about that decision. He, uh, <laughs> he's a little anxious about losing half of our income, mm-hmm. but I, I sold my car. Like we cut every single expense. We really lived just hand to mouth for a little while there. And it was the best decision I ever made. I still haven't had to go back to work. It's been five years now. So, (laughs) so far, so good. That is awesome. I love that. I definitely got some laughs out of it the whole way. (laughs) Little giggles. It was, it was great. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was great, I guess. And, you know, writing such a personal memoir too, I mean, and I think that takes some serious courage to even want to share it with the world. So what was the scariest part for you releasing that story to everybody? Honestly, the scariest part was, was later when I decided to quit my job, publishing it was not scary because I was so confident that no one was going to read it. It wasn't even a possibility in my mind because why, why would anybody read it? I was just going to self-publish it. I'm a school psychologist. Like I didn't do any ads. I didn't do any big promo. All I did was 
um, network on Instagram. I had amassed a bunch of friends through the book community on Instagram. And so I sent out advanced copies to people if they wanted to review it. That was the extent of what I did. So I was actually really banking on the fact that nobody was going to read it and that I would be safe because it is so personal. But um, yeah, it wasn't, I wasn't afraid at all. My husband was afraid because he knew that it was full of personal stuff and he was terrified that everybody he knew was going to read it and that he would be embarrassed. And, um, but I worked really hard to protect his identity. I talked to, and everybody's identity. Um, I wrote about, you know, three of my exes also and other people that I went to high school with my friends and my mom. And, um, I talked to a lawyer extensively about what all do I have to change? How do I protect these people? And so far, so good. I must've done a pretty good job because nobody's Nobody's come after me. Nobody has said that anyone has found them or whatever. But um, yeah, my husband was the one who was afraid. I was fine. I was like, for what? Nobody's three people are going to read it. I'm not worried. And now it's on Netflix. <laughs> Surprise. With this and, you know, other romance books, I guess, is because, you know, you typically read romance to get that escape where this you can resonate with it on such a personal level. Like the whole time, like, yes, I get this. Like I, I feel exactly the same. And I think that's why a lot of people are pro- have really probably enjoyed it as well because, you know, it, they can actually resonate to, to your story and those feelings and also not feel, um, I guess, bad that they're a mum and a wife and, you know, that, that they're allowed to have, be want to continue their their life post post that as well so yeah I got I mean I get a lot of feedback from readers who say oh my gosh this is you know this is exactly how I feel or um who connect with the content but also because I was writing to my journal and addressing my journal like it was another like it was my imaginary friend like I was saying like hey journal you know how blah 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 But because of that narration style, which again, wasn't my intention because I really was just writing to my journal. But when you read it, it sounds like I'm talking directly to the reader. And so I think that also makes it feel a little more immersive than if you were just writing, you know, a third person romance novel or whatever, because I'm like, Hey, you, I'm going to tell you a story, do you know, blah, blah, blah. And asking like rhetorical questions and stuff, which is just bizarre to talk to, (laughs) talk to a piece of paper that way but um I think it did I think it did help people connect with it which again you know it's just a a lucky accident absolutely and I think so obviously just a bit of an overview you know you um were sitting there like you had your daughter you were trying to keep yourself awake at night you went down that romance rabbit hole which I think a lot of us have done um and you got onto the bad boy genre and you thought hang on a second I know these types of guys. I've dated these types of guys. I'm going to sit down and put in my journal these stories of my dating history and those types of things, you know, in a personal journal, which your husband then came across, which is not something you anticipated. So did it go down the way you wrote in your memoir in that he originally found it and then you decided to plant a fake journal is it did it go down that way yes 100 so that was not my idea that was um I I just thought everything was gonna go south I was like this is it it's over I don't know what he read but I know it wasn't good 
Uh, you know, the divorce papers are on their way. And <laughs> instead, the next night he came home from work and he was like, I got a babysitter. We're going out. Go get dressed. Go pump. And we went on a date and it had been a long time because, you know, at the time I had a four month old baby, I was still nursing. I was on maternity leave. I had a three-year-old son who was super busy and precocious. He he had a full-time job. So we had, we were just on the back burner completely and it was really nice. And it was, it was like this light bulb went off and I thought, oh my God, like, I think I just found the Holy grail of behavioral modification techniques. Like all I have to do. So I'm ta- I was a psychologist at the time. My best friend is a psychologist. She's Dr. Sarah Snow in the book. And so I'm telling her about what's going on. And she was, she's the one who told me to up the ante. She was like, Oh, okay. All right. Listen, this is what you're going to do. You're going to figure out whatever you want this man to do. And then you're just going to make some shit up. You're just going to make something up about your ex-boyfriend doing it and then, and then observe his behavior and see if it works, if it lights a fire under him. So that's what I did. And it, I mean, this was not for a book at the time. This was just for my own entertainment and benefit. So I started writing these ridiculous, like Harlequin romance novel style versions of my exes and then doing whatever it was that I, you know, I wanted compliments. I wanted him to get a tattoo in my honor. I wanted him to like do all of these big grand gestures. So I would write these fake journal entries about my exes doing them. And then I would sit back and watch and see, and I would kind of drop hints and like poke him a little bit. And so I wrote about that too. So I had all of these things in the air. Like I had these big journals going on that were supposed to like inspire him. And then I was writing these other secret journals about his response. And then I was writing stories about the actual truth behind those exes. So it's like, okay, let me tell you, okay, this did not go down like that. That was for Ken's benefit. This is the real story of what happened. So it was just all so ridiculous and completely, like I said, for my own entertainment, it was the most fun I had had in years because my life had become so serious (laughs) and that's not me. I'm a fun spunky girl. So it felt amazing to, to participate in this because it was so funny and joyful and just silly. And, um, I feel like that's where the magic happens whenever you're doing something just because it pleases you and, and delights you. I feel like that's when you're really being your authentic self and that's when doors open, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I don't have a journal that my husband reads, but I definitely do share scenes from romance <laughs> the book. So I'm <laughs> like, oh, well, thank you for asking. And then I'm like, oh. He's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like inception level. Yeah, just plant the seed. <laughs> That's funny. I have uh, in 44 chapters about four men. I talk about trying to recreate a scene from 50 shades of gray with my accountant husband, but it was so frustrating because he hasn't read the book. So obviously he doesn't know his lines. So (laughs) I was having to deliver both sets of lines. And then it's the vanilla ice cream scene. I think it's in the second book in the series. And, um, but we didn't have vanilla. We only had like like cherry Garcia or something like crunchy. So I'm like <laughs> licking this ice cream off and having to stop to chew. <laughs> it's all crunchy sounding. So I've tried, you know, that doesn't always work out for me. 
but it's always nice to suggest hey honey look I I like I like that like the beach scene you know (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) yeah great ideas in my head but in reality they're probably not even the no the mile high club it's like it sounds great I think you'd need to be in first class um to pull that off or on a private jet I just I'm not (laughs) I've actually been researching the mile like what because when I when I go big I go big I don't like I play to win so I was like, I'm going to check this off my bucket list and started researching, like, what does it take to pull this off? I was, I found this website that's like milehighclub.com or something. And it's anonymous stories from people who've actually joined the mile high club, which for those of you who don't know is like, uh, relations on a, on an airplane that is in the air, (laughs) (laughs) not on the ground. It doesn't count if it's on the ground, Uh, at least in my book. No. So I found this website and it was hilarious. All of these stories about people who have tried or succeeded in attempting to join the mile high club. And evidently uh, the majority of the members of this club are uh, flight attendants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either with other flight attendants or with, uh, with their passengers. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know. I think I'm going to go check that website out. It sounds amazing. It's so funny. It's so funny. But I was taking notes. I was like, all right, okay. So it needs to be an international flight. It needs to be at night. Like, tell me, tell me all the things I need to get a seat in the back. Cool. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm taking notes. I love that. I love that. (laughs) You know, you're going to succeed. That's right. Important to plan for success. Absolutely. I'm not going to jail. I'm doing it right. And I really can, like, I really hope you publish how that actually goes. I <laughs> I'll let you know. It, it's deserving of a, a, a novella, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your husband react when he uh, found out about this fake journal that was used for his behavioral modification? It was so weird. We actually didn't ever talk about it. It was just this this thing that I was observing, it was, I would write these journal articles or journal articles, diary entries, whatever. And, and wait to see if he did the things that I had written about and more than chance, like I would say like 70% of the time he would do some version of it. So that was my proof that he was reading it, but we we did not, de- and I wasn't going to bring it up because I'm like, I have a good thing going here. Like, why am I going to embarrass him and like screw this up for myself? So it went on for like a year. And then when it finally turned into a book, that's when I brought it up and was like, all right, this is, this is, a, this is something that I've been doing. I want to publish it. I'm going to change everybody's names. And he did not respond well to that. He was, like I said before, you know, he was very apprehensive about it and concerned that he has a corporate job. Like he would be mortified of people that he worked with, read about his sex life and his wife's previous sex life. And um, so I, I did, I assured him I would take every precaution, but it wasn't until the book came out and had been out for a couple of months that he realized, oh, okay, it really, it's fine. Like this, you know, the sky didn't fall. Nobody knows. But then 
his attitude started changing rapidly once he started coming to book signings with me because he saw a, oh, people actually are like reading it and like it and know who she is and are coming to say hi. But then he started getting recognized by the fangirls and <laughs> everything changed. It was like, oh, this is great. Yeah, let's we got these settings <laughs> next month. Like we get to go on these little vacations. We don't bring the kids. All these women fawn over me. Like, let's keep doing this. This is I'm great. Do you it. need I'm any help? Can I do your taxes? Like, what can I do? <laughs> so now he's my biggest, he's my biggest supporter. I love that. That's awesome. That is fantastic. Now, tell us, how did your book then uh, become one of Netflix's top 10 shows all around? How did that come about? So crazy. So crazy. I was looking for a literary agent when I decided I was going to publish. Again, like I said, I always, I go big. I do everything to the best of my ability. So I was like, I'm going to get a publisher. I'm going to find an agent. I'm going to do this right. And uh, it's almost impossible for a debut author to find an agent and find a publisher because um, they just want a sure thing. They want somebody who's got a huge online following or is a celebrity or is an established author with an audience. And I had none of those things. I was a school psychologist. So, um, but I kept trying. And in the midst of all of those query letters that I sent, all of the emails that I sent, uh, a friend of my same friend, my, the devil on my shoulder, Dr. Sarah Snow from the book. Um, she's like, I'm going to find you an agent. I got this. And she comes back with this phone number from a guy that she swears is an agent. And I cold call this guy. And it turns out that he is a talent manager in LA and he represents like musicians and actors. So I tried to get off the phone with him. I was like, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm looking for a literary agent. And he said, well, tell me about your project. So I told him about the book and he was like, oh, that's not a book. That's a movie. Well, meanwhile, I had Googled this guy and he's not online anywhere. Like I can't find an IMDB page, nothing. So I thought he was just completely full of shit. So I was like, okay, buddy. <laughs> yeah, all right. It's a movie. Um, nice talking to you. But it turns out that he was in fact a talent manager and he had a friend named Jay Miles Dale, who is a big time producer. He did the shape of water. He's done like the strain on FX. He's done a bunch of stuff. Um, and he sent it to him and he liked it and wanted to option it. So, uh, two weeks after the, my first book came out and I ended up just self-publishing it because I never did get a literary agent to sign me, uh, two weeks after I self-published it, I'm signing this, this TV and film option for J miles Dale. But even then I told myself that it was nothing to get excited about because these things fall through all the time, all the time. So I was like, oh, well, that was fun. But, you know, I just kind of tried to forget about it. And I didn't hear from Miles for a while because he was so busy doing The Shape of Water. So I was like, see, you know, nothing's going to come of it. And then he won an Oscar for The Shape of Water. And I was like, okay, now I'm really like small potatoes. He's just going to like lose my number at this point. And then day after he won the Oscar, he took his Oscar to the Netflix studios with my book and pitched them my book. And they they bought it. And so it was a long road after that. It was about, oh my God, two or three years, three years after that, before it finally came out. It's quite a process, but, um, that was, that was how it all went down. It was just that like, 
lucky break after lucky break. Yeah. I love that. Well, I'm glad you didn't hang up the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And honestly, for anybody that is listening in and who has watched the Netflix series thinking, well, I don't need to read the book. You definitely need to read the book because obviously, you know, a TV series or a movie is embellished or, you know, parts are taken out of the book to make it more, you know, TV watchable, if you may. But it's not the actual story. Like you need to go and get, read the story so you can see which parts are being taken out and get that background information because... It's definitely worth the read and you will get lots of laughs out of it. So go and do that if you haven't already. Yeah, I think yeah. the difference, like I, this, this, this TV series is quite serious. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was, I was feeling, I was laughing the whole way through <laughs> your book. I just thought it was, it was nice to have that humor to it. So it is different in that regard. It is. It's very different. Yeah. Netflix wanted a TV drama. They wanted something sexy and scandalous and shocking and female driven. Um, you know, they wanted another show or, or TV, you know, movie or whatever, like, you know, like a 50 shades or like a 365 days. They wanted something like, you know, really, really intense and female forward like that. And, um, my book is a (laughs) rom-com my book is not that intense it's just kind of funny and it's sexy but it's also just kind of silly and self-deprecating too but that kernel of a woman journaling about her exes and her husband finding it was really what kind of intrigued them and so when they hired the showrunner Stacey Rukeyser she's an amazing drama writer and so that's really the the crux that they kept and then they took that and Stacy really made it her own. So instead of saying based on, they say inspired by. So the, the show is really Stacy Rukeyser's baby. It's, you know, she is from New York or, you know, went to college in New York. She is the one who grew up in Connecticut. So all of these uh, scenes and things were really inspired by her young adulthood, whereas mine was in Atlanta and nobody was rich. <laughs> it was all, you know, Poor guys who lived in their mom's basements and garages and stuff, but uh, she made it much more glamorous. But I think it's really cool how, you know, art inspires other art. So I really love, love the term, in, you know, inspired by, because this is such, this is her story really kind of overlaid onto, you know, the basic foundation of my book, which is cool to see how that, that happened and how it came to life and how much people loved it. Absolutely. I, yeah, it was fantastic because yeah, you, parts were taken from it, but it was like two kind of different stories with just like a common theme in the middle, as you say. And it was, yeah, it was great. You get a different experience out of each one. Um, Yeah. So I think definitely you need to, you need to see both of them. How much um, were you process did you did you have involvement past them looking into your book like what was your part in that inspiration yeah I joke that my my role on the show was unofficial cheerleader um, self-appointed cheerleader I was not involved at all they um you know when they picked up the book 
they really, like I said, they had a vision and they just ran with it and they hired writers that they knew were going to do a bang up job and they just were full steam ahead. So they did do a good job keeping me posted and they had us come in and we got to meet the writers. And um, so I really felt like I was involved, but really my involvement was just them keeping me abreast of their amazing progress. Cause it was just a well-oiled machine. Like they knew where they were going and the train left the station. And it was like, they were sending me postcards. <laughs> I got to watch from the comfort of my home, which was kind of nice for a change because I worked so hard and worked such long nights for so many years, trying to get the book off the ground that watching everyone else, like grueling away and working these long hours while I was, you know, hanging out working from home in my sweatpants was like, I felt guilty. It was like, I don't, I'm not doing enough. What can I be doing? And I was like, Oh, I wrote the book. Like I did plenty, but, uh, it was kind of nice to be like, Oh, sorry. You guys have fun with that. You know. <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode or scene from the series? I do. I will always love the first episode. That one is, it just, that was the first one I ever read. And they sent me the first episode because they had to write that one first just to get the green light. So that came really early in the process. And there were so many voiceovers that were directly from the book. And there were so many, um, all of the breastfeeding scenes. And there was a, you know, there was a lot of heart and a lot of humor. And I could really see the shape that it was taken. It, it was the episode that showed me like, okay, they get it. There was the scene where um, it's very early in the first episode, but she's having this flashback with her ex and you see him like stick his, or he has his mouth on her nipple. And then she's like, ah, and the baby that she's nursing while she's having this fantasy has bitten her nipple. And that, that reminded me so much of the chapter from 44 chapters about four men where I was upstairs nursing my daughter. I run downstairs. The kids are finally asleep. I'm going to pounce on my husband. And he has his mouth on my nipple. And I realized that thing was just in the baby's mouth. Like I haven't cleaned it or anything. And then I was like, and it was in that other kid's mouth a couple of years ago. Like all of you, all of you, I had this thing in your mouth. Like, is this what a family is? And so the fact that she was able to capture that in 10 seconds of film, I was like, yes, she gets it. This is what we, this is motherhood that can also be sexy. And I haven't seen that on TV. So the first episode will forever have my heart because that's when I fell in love with where the story was going to go. <laughs> my favorite part was the, the car sex. <laughs> We've all been there. I think at some point when that's happening, you're like, oh my God, because yeah, I was, I love that part. I love that too. I love that. That was also in the book. That was another scene yeah. that they pulled directly from the book. Only they upped the Annie and it was like, he got sprayed with like a fire hose in the face <laughs> of breast milk instead of just like a little, sh- a little squirt on his shirt. Like in the book, it was like, yeah. it was like a garden hose. It was so funny. But I was and like, yes, I've never seen that on TV. I, I actually loved it. And so, and then when I read it as well, I was like, oh, <laughs> I think the, and the feeling like you explained the feeling of the milk coming down I was like oh yeah yeah <laughs> that know. burn you can still feel it yep yeah and you're like you know it's about to happen you can't <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was my we suffered 
I know. And I personally like, you take a lot out of the book because as you say, it is a rom-com type situation, but it's also got a very serious underlay in terms of like the motherhood aspect and, you know, you work so hard to get to a certain point in your life and then you become a mother and it's like at that point everything switches and it's like well you're not that person anymore you're just someone's mother and I know that you know like when when I was reading it you kind of just get that feeling of okay I'm being seen (laughs) because you know like Mm -hmm. that's where when you're a mom and you're in those first couple of years, it's like, everything's a blur. It's like you go through kind of the stages of cleaning, washing, feeding, you know, all that type of stuff. And it's like, you're not seen, you don't have, um, you know, your career aspirations are put to the side, that sort of thing. And it's such, I might, I read this comment and I was just like, people still don't get it. And so it was nice to see that, you know, your book, you get it, you you know, people can actually resonate with that because like I read, yeah, a comment about the show and they were like, oh, you know, this is so 1950s, like as if a woman's just going to be at home doing this, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you still don't get it. They are doing that. People yeah. are really struggling, you know, to be seen, to realize that even just little things with kids, like you go back to work. Yeah, that's great. You can choose to do that. But then what happens when the child is sick or, you know, who's going to stay at home? There's all those little things. And yeah, even in this day and age, as shockingly as these people who are writing these comments might think, it actually is a thing. So it was so fantastic to see, you know, that out there. And mm-hmm. it was portrayed like real life being portrayed. Um, even the breastfeeding stuff, how you're like, you know, everybody's been on my boob. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like that sort of those sorts of feelings. And then just to show that, yeah, well, you went through all of that, but then you've just worked so hard and you got to this point where, you know, you don't have to sacrifice, but it is it is tough work to get there. Like you said, you know, three long years of barely any sleep for you to be able to get to that point. So I just think, thank you firstly for writing a story that people can resonate with so much. And secondly, just like kudos to you because it is a tough slog to get to that point. It's not all, Hey, I wrote a book. Look how fantastic it is. Like, it's like, I'd really get to that point. Absolutely. Well, and I was, I was really worried publishing the book that nobody was gonna like it I mean the three people that I thought were gonna read it because I didn't think anybody was gonna read it but of those three people I was like this is this feels so personal this feels so just like me and my story that I don't know if anybody's even gonna connect with it so that's been one of the biggest joys of this whole process is how many women are like, thank you. Me too. Oh my God. Yes. The identity struggle and the, you know, and, and, you know, those people commenting are right. There are a lot of women who still have their careers and go to work. And I did, I kept my career and, you know, I was on maternity leave when I started writing, but I went back and, but I had to, I ended up going part-time because I couldn't do it full-time because somebody would get sick. The nanny would call out, you know, my son's preschool hours were only 9.30 to 1.30. Like it was just too much. And I, because I'm the mom and I had the desire to have these children, took it upon myself to sacrifice my career trajectory to go part-time to stay home with them, which was 
my choice, but it's still a choice that you have to make. You still have to make these decisions as a woman. And I feel like men still, there are a lot of wonderful supportive husbands and fathers and baby daddies out there. Um, but even the ones who are lovely and supportive still don't have to make these decisions like women do. It's like a luxury. They can, they, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, let me help you out with that. But really the women are the ones who I feel like that, that burden is still on our shoulders first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Um, everything you do is, is a, you're sacrificing something when they're that little, you're sacrificing yourself, you're sacrificing your sleep, you're sacrificing your career, you're sacrificing your time with your kids. Like you just cannot physically have it all. But personally, I want it all. So that was my struggle. That was why I slept three hours a night. I want this hobby and I want this career and I want these babies and I want this husband and I want to do it all right now. So I'm just not going to sleep for a while, for a couple of years. I'm sure I took years off my life. Yeah, but I know I'm not the only one now. So no, we're exactly the same. Um, We both like we both have corporate jobs. We both have like fantastic husbands. We want the kids. We want. I mean. we want the Amanda wants a dog, like we, so, <laughs> you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Like, and I think that's exactly what you know I took away Haven't from the story. But even us, like we, yeah, like we were so happy in our lives and things like that. But we were still like something's missing, and that's mm-hmm. why I decided to start this podcast. Yeah. Like, look, this is just like something that we both enjoy so much reading and connecting with people that have similar interests and connecting with authors and things like that and so this is kind of our outlet this is our hobby yeah (laughs) that's great and you you managed to make time for it exactly exactly now some serious questions (laughs) do you have a nickname yet (laughs) I do not I still do not I will never get one, especially because of how big of a deal I've made about it. He will, (laughs) my husband, for those of you who haven't read the book, I, one of my objectives in 44 chapters about four men was to manipulate my husband into bestowing me with a nickname. He will only call me like my legal first name. And it feels very cold and I don't appreciate it because I come from a family where pet names are like our love language. Mm. I was, you know cookie and sweetie and honey and baby and all of these things. And then, you know, my husband calls me Brooke. So, uh, it's like my doctor calls me Brooke, like call me something sweet, but no, because I've, I've made such a big deal about it and he knows that I want it. Uh, I, he will go to his grave without ever giving me a nickname. It's, it's like a thing at this point. I don't think it's coming. I have to let that one go. I love, I love how you're like, he has oppositional defiant disorder. So- he 100%. I'm convinced. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what about the tattoo? Are we still hanging on to the. Story? Definitely not. No, no. <laughs> I got one for him. Actually. I, I got him into a tattoo parlor, but then I was the one who ended up getting a tattoo in his honor because he's still. <laughs> but he paid for it he did pay for it you know he didn't want to do that he's super cheap so <laughs> he's getting that was the best I could closer. do I feel like you're getting closer in this objective it, it's funny because I've been trying to get my husband to get a tattoo for quite a while now but not of my name I didn't want like the whole sleeve thing going on he's like he's starting to kind of come around but I don't think it's going to happen. but you know honestly 
I've, I love a challenge. This is just my personality. And this is why this is what I discovered at the end of the book, which is why I married him. And none of the other guys that I wrote about, because after all of these years, he still challenges me. There's still things that I cannot get him to do that I want. And so it keeps me interested because I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking chip away at this. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. I love having a really tough goal. So everything about him is like a really challenging goal. Just getting him to have kids was like, Oh, I did it. (laughs) So so honestly, if he came home tomorrow with the tattoo that said BB with a flaming heart, I think I'd be like, Oh man, like now what am I going to like, no, I got to need a new goal now. You know what I think you should do? And this could be a challenge is like convince him to get a tattoo. Say, look, I'm happy if it's just a normal tattoo. It doesn't have to be my name. But then like say, I'll do the design. You draw it up. And then within the tattoo, you input a nickname for yourself. <laughs> you get both out of yeah. the one. And really you've won the challenge because he doesn't know it's there. it'll be my little i'll tell him on his deathbed i'll whisper it in his ear i'll be like by the way your tattoo says baby in it and then (laughs) and then i win yep i win the marriage and that's the challenge (laughs) because you've got to keep it to yourself that whole time (laughs) i like it i like it (laughs) okay so anybody who has read 44 chapters about uh four men can also go and read the books about the individual guys. So you've got Skin, Speed, Star, and Suit, which I think it's pretty easy to decipher which one is which once you've read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's always also that. What can readers expect from those particular books? I'm so glad you asked that. It is kind of confusing. So I, I need to, like, talk about those books more because I wrote completely for myself and didn't like think about marketing or genre or anything like that. Um, now I'm paying for it, but, uh, that's just like, that's me. I can't stick to a genre to save my life. Everything I do is like this weird mismatch of nonfiction and romance and whatever. But so I had so much fun writing 44 chapters about Foreman, which is a comedic memoir. So it's told like very much present ten. I mean, I have flashbacks and stuff, but um, it's, it's a specific style. And then, but I love romance. I love romance novels. That's what got me started writing. So I was like, I've read so many of these anti-hero bad boy romance novels that I was like, I could give these characters each their own romance novel. So I've written about them comedic memoir style, which was steamy, but I could give them like their whole book where it has, you know, a whole arc and it's a complete story. And it could, it could, a lot of it could be, you know, true stories about our past or whatever, but I really loved that. Um, Jay Crownover was a big in- influence of mine because she had a series called the Markman series. And it was all of these different guys. And each one was a different, a different flavor of bad boy. Like there was the tattoo artist and there was the rock star and there was the soldier. And I was like, I dated the tattoo artist and the rock star and the soldier. Like I'm going to write these and, and make them true. Make them about these guys that I actually dated. So that's what the spinoff series is. Um, after you read 44 chapters about four men, you get to meet all four guys. And then you go back and get their whole backstory. And because these books tell their backstory, they are set in the 90s and the early 2000s, which was a lot of fun to write about. So everybody's wearing, you know, combat boots and 
um, band t-shirts and ripped jeans and um, all of the style and the fashion was really fun to write about and the music. Um, and then you get a more in-depth uh, history of each one of them, but it's also a lot more dramatic. And I embellished a lot more in those books just to make them as enjoyable and intense as possible. But uh, those were so much fun to write too. I miss, I miss this. I'm like, God, I'm like racking my brain for more stories. Like what else can I write about? Cause I just had so much fun living in that world. Well, yeah, we've, um, we've read, we've read Jay Cronover's Marked Men series. Uh, that was actually our very first episode of our podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rome was my favorite. So. Oh yeah. He was the soldier, right? He was the one yeah. in the army. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I like Jet. I like the uh, uh, the rock star. Rock star. Yeah. Jet, Jet I don't know. I like Nash too. I like all of them. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, we're very into reverse harems at the moment. It's just the why choose type situation. So, yeah. you know. Exactly. I like that. Yeah. All right. These are the really important questions. What is your favorite food? I'm, I'm a pizza and tacos girl. I'm boring. No, that's, that's everybody right. loves them for a reason because they're delicious. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Favorite color. Gray. Gray. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect I was definitely going for pink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm surrounded by color, but no, my favorite color is gray. My walls are gray. My house is gray. My car is gray. Um, I, I love it. it. I love it. Such a contrast. Love it. If you could be an animal, what would you choose to be? Hmm, I think I would want to be one of Oprah Winfrey's dogs. Mm. <laughs> they yeah. have it, their own personal chef. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that that's a that's great the life. Yeah. If you could have a superpower, what would you choose? I have thought about this long and hard, and mm. my superpower would be the ability to function at full steam without sleep ever. Yes. If, <laughs> that's all I want. I want all the things. So if I could just get all 24 hours out of every day, I think I could accomplish every single thing that I have on my to-do list every day. I would totally love that. That would be a great power. I've never thought of that power, but definitely all I want my repertoire there. <sighs> and lastly, what was the last TV show, movie, or book to make me cry? To make me cry. Oh man. Probably, probably Brittany Cherry. Everything Brittany Cherry writes somehow makes me cry at some point. I don't know how she does it. I'm not a big, I am a, I will cry at movies. If there's any mother, child, anything, the loss of a mother, the loss of a child, drama there. Oh my God. That's my, oh, that gets me. But in books, I don't normally cry but Brittany Cherry man she is so talented she can just pull on your heartstrings like nobody else and then like and she makes me cry like not even because she writes tear jerkers but because she just writes like the most poignant beautiful like the character will say exactly that thing that you've always wanted somebody to say to you yeah. and you're just like oh my god and you can imagine how the other character feels hearing that because you're just like if somebody said that to me I would just be so touched <laughs> like she just can write the most beautiful touching heartwarming oh I love her Brittany Cherry love it 
perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We've had an absolute ball um, and we hope to see more of you uh, moving forward. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you.